does it mean to live curiously? Hi, I'm Tiffany Godoy. I'm a fashion journalist, director, and author fascinated with innovation. The curiosity that fuels my work also fuels my life, taking me from my native Los Angeles to two decades in Tokyo, now Paris, and countless airplanes in search of inspiring stories shaping fashion culture. On the Joyce podcast, Live Curiously, we speak to some of fashion design's driving forces. In a series of conversations, we get to know how they found fashion, how they stay creative while shifting culture and the way we dress. But most importantly, what stimulates them to stay curious? Welcome to the Joyce podcast, Live Curiously. Our guest is the French designer, Maureen Serre. In 2017, she scored a fashion grand slam when her graduate collection was shortlisted for the ER Festival, the Andem Prize, and the LVMH Prize. Her three follow-up runway shows, Manic Soul Machine, Hardcore Couture, and Radiation, have been one of the Paris collection season's hottest tickets. In her work, there's no nostalgic nod to the past. She makes future wear, as she calls it. We're here at her atelier in the 19th arrondissement of Paris to get to know more about this voice of the new fashion generation and how she lives curiously. But first, let's take things back a bit to before you became Marine Serre fashion sensation. And let's start with your origins. You were born in a small village in Corrèze, France. Was there a point in your childhood when you started to play around with clothes? Uh, were you a rebellious teen? Uh, where would you go and show these designs that you did or these ideas that you had? Actually, yes. So um, what was uh, a thing for me is that I really live in a really small villages and um, I do not have actually shop around. It was just nature and culture a little bit. <laughs> and, um, and then basically my first experience with garment was really to go to Brocante, to second-hand shop. You have a place called Emmaüs that is really famous in France that, you know, when you don't have money, you go there. And basically I start dressing up myself with going there and collecting garments and, you know, just finding color I like with not knowing so much about fashion, but just experiencing, trying garments, cutting them. Also, of course, stealing a little bit from my dad and my mom and my family to just check up and mix things together. I think that was already in just in the culture of my family also to collect things and to go to Brocante because my granddad was actually um, collecting objects, so not garment. Still, it was uh, quite organized on, on that sense. So, so I will say that basically I start experience garment through myself when I was about 15, 16 years old. And then... Uh, yeah, and then it continued. Strut your stuff around the town. <laughs> yeah. So then I guess you were designing from when you were 15. Do you remember like one piece that you were very proud of or that was like a breakthrough for you? Mm, I don't know. Like I, w I was really naive. So I will never say that I was a designer. I just thought of myself. I'm just a crazy child. I see that my parents don't like me when I dress like that because I look really weird. My father was ashamed. But then I, of course, like it. And I just like to provoke with it. But it was in a kind of supernatural way and not at all with considering myself as a designer. So it was more a way to express myself as an adolescent. Before you became a designer, you were a very serious athlete. How does that mindset still influence your creative process? 
Uh, I think it's just influenced, uh, I mean, all your life when you start so young to train. So I have a lot of good souvenirs about it and, of course, bad ones too. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's like the same and consciously important on the sense that it gives me a lot of structure as a child. And, of course, I left my parent place at 13 years old to go to study. Then, of course, you are independent really quickly. And uh, I think their sport um, was just important to, yeah, to be able to do things yourself because you are, you know, left alone in, uh, you know, a match or a moment. And then uh, you just have to take care of yourself and make sure it's going to work somehow. And uh, yeah, and of course, I was like training every day. So uh, the habitude become something you like. So it's a bit like that with work now. I have to work as much as I was sporting as a child. So I think it helped to, to be able to take it all. Mm -hmm. Your stature, you're relatively petite, but you exude this power. <laughs> That's funny. It's true. I would imagine, you know, across the net that uh, you could be quite intimidating. Uh, so I'm not this good. <laughs> <laughs> when you studied at Le Cambre in, uh, in Brussels, what was your initial impression of fashion before you entered into the Parisian fashion scene and what is it now? You mean when I was in Lacan, when I was studying? Exactly. There? I will say that when I was at school at Lacan, I had already studied fashion for seven years, meaning that I had the time to make a lot of internship in Alexander McQueen, in Dior for Raph Simons, and in Margiela under Matteo Blasi. So, I was quite aware of what was happening in Paris and I also knew that if I wanted to build something I could not make it in Belgium because of course it was not a lot of brands and of course at the time because it was just two years ago already a lot of brands uh, moved into Paris. Of course I'm French so it was easy to go back but I never lived in Paris so about the city I was quite anxious to come because I was not sure if I will like it. Uh, so much and about the fashion I knew more or less what to wait for because I've been there before so you know I, I knew that it would be fast and quick and uh, that I will have to go straight to the point so just enjoy my time in Brussels before to make sure I can survive in Paris probably. It was kind of a vacation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I was at I've been to all three of your presentations and um, the Manic Soul Machine presentation the execution and also the audience, I think uh, Michel Lamy was there, Adrian from uh, Dover. Um, it was very impressive and there was an energy there that uh, it was the first show of the week. And um, already I think there was just so much anticipation. Well, um, it was quite stressful for us because the first show was really hectic. I think we do not sleep for, I don't know, more than three days and, you know, to start on the way your career as a brand in Paris with on the way being a child of fashion because coming out of school and then being finally accepted to be in the official federation calendar and then I was just thinking okay then it's getting kind of serious because you have to make a proper show and then yeah and finally I think yeah everyone came everyone was also super supportive uh, even if it was super cold this day uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I have a good memory of the first show. It was uh, quite intense. I guess, yeah, as you say, you knew you had that, it was that moment with all the buzz that had happened after the previous uh, 
season with, um, with Andam and, and everything. Yeah. I, I knew that it was important for me and it's also why I wait to show in February because people on the way wanted us to show in September already straight after the LVMH prize and I was clearly not ready because I needed to build a team because when I win LVMH prize we were three people. So in basically six months I built a team of about 10 people to make sure that we could of course at a proper show and you know at the same time found a place because before we were in my living room so uh, it was a lot happening uh, also in the meantime you know like we were not just preparing the show we were also preparing a team to also survive after the show so it, it's all the time a bit both at the same time and it's still the case now for me each show are parts of the six months that are in between each show they are kind of structure of the year in which you know okay in this six months we have made this and next month and then it's like a step every show of course of course yeah what does it mean to live curiously marine Serre is the uniform for those ready to dive headfirst into the unknown again and again living curiously is the freedom to allow yourself to be naive of making curiosity a ritual. This is Joyce Live Curiously. So then you talk about this process, so every six months is a kind of a building blocks mm -hmm. to this business that you have envisioned. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what is your creative mission? Does it change every season or is there kind of one specific uh, vision that you have? Yeah, we'll more go for one, even if they are all the time, of course, variating, depending of what happened in the world, what happened around me, what happened in the team, what happened in the past season. But uh, mainly it's just one line. So I really see all the show as one continuity. Like if you will do a movie, but then you continue the movie. It's like more like a series. What is it in English? A series. Uh, yeah, yeah, a series. Like a Netflix. Yeah, like series. a Netflix uh, X-Marine-Serre uh, <laughs> proposal. <laughs> I quite like that, you know, and then you come next show to see what's the next step. And I really see it like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I mean, the, the main belief clearly starts with the green line because um, in October, just before the first show. The, the so you have three lines, correct? Can you four now. Oh, four now. Yeah. So to tell you the story, then the green line actually was, even before to be named the green line, uh, was a green line, was the upcycling line. So the first show, Manic Soul Machine, is there that for the first time we have shown upcycled garments, so all the dress that were in scarf. And of course, this was a, quite a big risk for us as... It's the first show, it's also the first moment that retailer will come in, you know, a more quantity on the way because before we had just uh, five, six super trusted retailer. So we took a big risk also because there I realized that I was at the same time a designer, but I was also then taking care of, of a team. And this is really different. Like also in my head, I was just thinking, okay, this is not at all the same responsibility that you have. You are not there to make skirts. You are really there to found a path where no one has been before because always uh, better stop right now and go back to working for someone else or... Uh, you know, doing something more interesting than, than just doing skirts. So there I really realized that what was important for me, it was to work with upcycling because that was, as I just told you, part of my adolescence and also part of the collection I made before. 
So I have a lot of archive pieces like that where I reuse garments and things, but at the time I do not name it upcycled because I do not need to name it because I do not even add a brand. And then of course, slowly, by creating the green line and by naming it, I also realized that it was, I had kind of different block and clear process of work in the whole collection because at the same time we introduced couture pieces and then at the same time we introduced hybrid pieces that are mainly called future wear and then of course we have also more core line so I thought it was really important for me and for the people that are friend to the brand and client to the brand to really grasp what we are doing because I feel today no one grasp anything and that thing go quick and then you have one more brand and then you just want to throw away everything. So I just try to give consistent to each of them and then by doing that then the white line was created. So the white is really the core line, is meaning the jersey, uh, you know, the kind of style that you have today. Uh, and <laughs> I'm wearing a marine serre piece right now. And the uh, tailoring pieces, basically your daily garderobe will go in the white when you really want to be easy and chill. Then you will have the green line. The green line is only upcycled, so it's only garments that are at the end of their life that are then being reconstructed. And the idea for us is really to build the green line as something that could become affordable. Because for now, and of course in the beginning, was quite expensive because it takes us so much time to do that. So now we are working on the green line becoming, yeah, just a little bit more um, easy to buy. And then in link to the green line, we have the red line. And the red line is a more couture interpretation of the green. So it's also with upcycled garment. It's also made of, you know, end of stock or thing that we found. But then, of course, there you have more this idea of unique pieces, of red carpet, of couture, and also of transforming the material into, into yeah, into something couture, even if the material of the beginning have no value at all. And there, of course, the price is different in the red because you have a unique pieces. Even if in the green you have a unique pieces too, because each of the garments uh, cannot be repeated anyway, but it's just more exclusive. And then on the gold line, uh, it's more on the way the aesthetic that, I've, uh, that I have always worked with is really this future wear. Like if I have to tell you which of the line is the more future wear, then I will set the gold because there is where you have hybrid garment, jer mixing jersey with moiré. Um, mixing, uh, I don't know, like um, a super classical coat with a sportwear pocket and really all this functionality mix and also this challenge for the factory because mainly it's a piece that they never work with. So this is really based on, on a way trying to analyze what do we miss today in our garderobe? Why are you annoyed as a woman or as a man? Because you feel that garments are not living with their time. And then this would be more the gold line. Mm -hmm. So there is like experimenting around the future wear. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, I definitely think that you're a designer that um, looks at society. Fashion at its best is a reflection of culture. It's mm -hmm. anthropological, it's sociological. What are the, some of the things that you look at when you're refining this idea of future wear? About this idea just come from uh, living, like just from experiencing myself life, but also to listen to friend of me or the team here about 
daily complaint that they can have or just by yeah experiencing yourself like I'm biking a lot for example so then I'm, I'm wondering okay but then I need a mask because now when you are biking in Paris is like an hour so things are interlinked and I think I'm really someone that listens a lot and look a lot so I don't really need to travel that far to get inspiration I can get it just from taking the the bike and just walking around and uh, I think I'm also quite interested by also small things sometime and uh, yeah and just listening to people around you and being aware and that's mainly where I get the inspiration. So this this word radical um, comes up a lot when speaking about your work. Do you find that your fashion is a kind of political statement? Are you kind of testing the impact of clothing on culture when you are being provocative? Well, I don't see myself as someone provocative so much, even if maybe people think so. I see myself as someone radical because I think that to make something happen, you have to be radical today, because if you are not, then the information gets lost because we have so much information. I also really always enjoy people that have drive. Um, so I'm also working with people and with team and and just people around me are, are driving and are also radical. And I think that's really important in life to know where you are going or what do you want to do. And sometimes it's just by doing it that you realize it. So And on your political point, I will just answer that everything is political for me. So I'm not doing politics. I'm doing fashion, but fashion is politics anyway. So, Because you have to have a statement. No, because everything is political. Just walking in the street is, you take, like everyone, I, I consider that everyone have the same, um, yeah, have the same place to talk about uh, what you think about this or about that. And actually I'm never saying what I think about things. I'm just showing what's there. Mm, absolutely. The idea of community comes up a lot in pop culture these days. As you said, everyone does have a voice. Everyone is able to speak and be heard, mostly because of social media. Do you think it's important now as a brand to almost create a movement or create a community? Or is that just to be decided on by the people that believe in your beliefs? And um, What I can tell you is that I don't think about myself as a brand, first of all. So I never do anything by thinking, oh, I am a brand and I should create a community. Then I don't think about these things. What I think about is just about people around me, about my friends, about uh, also just people I meet that I like and, uh, you know, things are finally connecting. So community is something that I create and that anyone needs to do good fashion. I don't believe that one person can, you know, change the world by himself or by herself. So I just think it's important that, uh, you know, everyone realize that that's the only way to move whatsoever. So yeah. Do you have a lot of friends in fashion? Not so much. I mean, I have a lot of friends in fashion as I have a lot of friends in not fashion. So I'm, I'm not counting them. I couldn't tell you if they are equally separate. Of course, now I am in the fashion business. So I'm meeting a lot of people in the fashion world. I would say that I have a lot in both. And I also like that to have uh, many lives. Yes, we're all multifaceted, hopefully. Exactly. <laughs> hopefully I'm not doing only fashion. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that you studied art. 
And I'm wondering, uh, is that something that you revisit to replenish yourself or to maintain curiosity? Yeah, I mean, um, I think art is always good to look at. And also, of course, fashion and art are clearly not that far to each other. So, you know, it's just that maybe artists are more in fashion today than they have ever been. So maybe it's like a kind of battle in between art and fashion sometimes. I feel it's a bit like that. But of course, it's always super important uh, to me. And also many of my friends are part of the art scene more than than the fashion one. So. Um, who do you think dictates fashion today? I will say people. I think uh, every people are making their own choice. So, or at least, maybe that's not true, but it's what I hope, that people could choose by themselves and be aware of what they buy and what it means when they buy this or this brand. You said earlier that you don't think of yourself as a brand. How would you describe what you're doing? What I mean when I don't see myself as a brand is because I see us as a group. And also what you have to know is that this brand have been created so then organically that of course today we are a brand and we are being called a brand and we accept this word, but the beginning of it is like two, three people uh, having, you know, nice time together, uh, then connecting with friends and making things. And organically, it's become super fast and super quickly a brand. It's almost what people want you to be. But you don't think when you are in this brand, you don't think at yourself as a brand. You just think about a kind of group of people that are doing things together and, of course, trying to make things coherent. But this is what you do in your life anyway. So I would say that brand is still the good definition, but if you will call Marine Serre community, I will also love it. <laughs> so the subject of the podcast is live curiously. Mm -hmm. How do you incorporate living curiously in your creative life and your life in general? I think by not throwing anything away too quickly of what you see, by keeping looking at everything, by not thinking that this or this thing you should not go or you should not look at because they are normally not interesting for you because you are doing fashion. So I think the, yeah, the main curiosity or the most beautiful curiosity will be to stay radically open about everything. Wonderful, thank you so much. Thank you. For Marine Serre, living curiously means a progressive mindset and the commitment to go hardcore. This has been the Live Curiously podcast by Joyce. I'm Tiffany Godoy. Thanks for listening. If you're curious about our next guest, stay tuned. I think it's only recently in the last 13, 14 years that men have somehow engaged with fashion. This kind of revolution was never led in Western culture. It was more in Asian culture where you saw people really wearing fashion. It was such an eye-opener. There was a different approach in Asian culture where there is a respect for fashion. There was a phase where people were like, well, fashion shows are relevant now and it's all about video. And then suddenly within like a year, it was a complete opposite. Social media came along and suddenly it was even more complex. Mm. So the show became even more important. We're now in the vacuum of the lights, like, you know, how many likes do you have on a picture or yeah. how many followers does that make? What is interesting is I'm, I'm looking forward to the moment when people go through and say, well, actually, it doesn't really matter how many followers or how many 
likes you have, it's not good, it's not good. 